Part two of Rappaccini's Daughter from Mosses from an Old Manse and Other Stories by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Neufeld. Meanwhile, Giovanni had pursued a circuitous route, and at length found himself at the door of his lodgings. As he crossed the threshold, he was met by old Lisabetta, who smirked and smiled and was evidently desirous to attract his attention. Vainly, however, as the ebullition of his feelings had momentarily subsided into a cold and dull vacuity. He turned his eyes full upon the withered face that was puckering itself into a smile, but seemed to behold it not. The old dame, therefore, laid her grasp upon his cloak. "'Signor! Signor!' whispered she still with a smile over the whole breadth of her visage, so that it looked not unlike a grotesque carving in wood, darkened by centuries. "'Listen, signor, there is a private entrance into the garden.' "'What do you say?' exclaimed Giovanni, turning quickly about, as if an inanimate thing should start into feverish life. "'A private entrance into Dr. Rappaccini's garden? Hush! Hush!' not so loud whispered lisabetta putting her hand over his mouth yes into the worshipful doctor's garden where you may see all his fine shrubbery many a young man in padua would give gold to be admitted among those flowers giovanni put a piece of gold into her hand show me the way said he a surmise probably excited by his conversation with Baglioni, crossed his mind that this interposition of old Lisabetta might perchance be connected with the intrigue, whatever were its nature, in which the professor seemed to suppose that Dr. Rappaccini was involving him. But such a suspicion, though it disturbed Giovanni, was inadequate to restrain him. The instant that he was aware of the possibility of approaching Beatrice, it seemed an absolute necessity of his existence to do so. It mattered not whether she was angel or demon, he was irrevocably within her sphere, and must obey the law that whirled him onward, in ever-lessening circles, towards a result which he did not attempt to foreshadow. And yet, strange to say, there came across him a sudden doubt whether this intense interest on his part were not delusory, whether it were really of so deep and positive a nature as to justify him in now thrusting himself into an incalculable position, whether it were not merely the fantasy of a young man's brain, only slightly or not at all connected with his heart. He paused, hesitated, turned half about, but again went on. His withered guide led him along several obscure passages, and finally undid a door through which, as it was opened, there came the sight and sound of rustling leaves, with the broken sunshine glimmering among them. Giovanni stepped forth, and forcing himself through the entanglement of a shrub that wreathed its tendrils over the hidden entrance, stood beneath his own window in the open area of Dr. Rappaccini's garden. How often is it the case, that, when impossibilities have come to pass, and dreams have condensed their misty substance into tangible realities, we find ourselves calm, and even coldly self-possessed, 
amid circumstances which it would have been a delirium of joy or agony to anticipate. Fate delights to thwart us thus. Passion will choose his own time to rush upon the scene, and lingers sluggishly behind when an appropriate adjustment of events would seem to summon his appearance. So was it now with Giovanni. Day after day his pulses had throbbed with feverish blood at the improbable idea of an interview with Beatrice, and of standing with her face to face in this very garden, basking in the oriental sunshine of her beauty, and snatching from her full gaze the mystery which he deemed the riddle of his own existence. But now there was a singular and untimely equanimity within his breast. He threw a glance around the garden to discover if Beatrice or her father were present, and perceiving that he was alone, began a critical observation of the plants. The aspect of one and all of them dissatisfied him. Their gorgeousness seemed fierce, passionate, and even unnatural. There was hardly an individual shrub which a wanderer, straying by himself through a forest, would not have been startled to find growing wild as if an unearthly face had glared at him out of the thicket. Several also would have shocked a delicate instinct by an appearance of artificialness, indicating that there had been such commixture, and as it were adultery, of various vegetable species, that the production was no longer of God's making, but the monstrous offspring of man's depraved fancy, glowing with only an evil mockery of beauty. They were probably the result of experiment, which in one or two cases had succeeded in mingling plants individually lovely into a compound possessing the questionable and ominous character that distinguished the whole growth of the garden. In fine, Giovanni recognized but two or three plants in the collection, and those of a kind that he well knew to be poisonous. While busy with these contemplations, he heard the rustling of a silken garment. Turning, beheld Beatrice emerging from beneath the sculptured portal. Giovanni had not considered with himself what should be his deportment, whether he should apologize for his intrusion into the garden, or assume that he was there with the privity, at least, if not by the desire, of Dr. Rappaccini or his daughter. But Beatrice's manner placed him at his ease though leaving him still in doubt by what agency he had gained admittance. She came lightly along the path, and met him near the broken fountain. There was surprise in her face, but brightened by a simple and kind expression of pleasure. "'You are a connoisseur in flowers, signor,' said Beatrice, with a smile, alluding to the bouquet which he had flung her from the window. "'It is no marvel, therefore, if the sight of my father's rare collection has tempted you to take a nearer view. If he were here, he could tell you many strange and interesting facts as to the nature and habits of these shrubs. For he has spent a lifetime in such studies, and this garden is his world. And yourself, lady, observed Giovanni, if fame says true, you likewise are deeply skilled in the virtues indicated by these rich blossoms and these spicy perfumes. Would you deign to be my instructress? I should prove an apter scholar than if taught by Signor Rappaccini himself. Are there such idle rumors? asked Beatrice, with the music of a pleasant laugh. 
do people say that i am skilled in my father's science of plants oh, what a jest is there no though i have grown up among these flowers i know no more of them than their hues and perfume and sometimes methinks i would fain rid myself of even that small knowledge there are many flowers here and those not the least brilliant that shock and offend me when they meet my eye but pray signor do not believe these stories about my science believe nothing of me save what you see with your own eyes and must i believe all that i have seen with my own eyes said giovanni pointedly while the recollection of former scenes made him shrink no signora you demand too little of me bid me believe nothing save what comes from your own lips it would appear that beatrice understood him there came a deep flush to her cheek but she looked full into giovanni's eye and responded to his gaze of uneasy suspicion with a queen-like haughtiness i do so bid you signor she replied forget whatever you may have fancied in regard to me if true to the outward senses still it may be false in its essence but the words of beatrice rappaccini's lips are true from the depths of the heart outward those you may believe a fervour glowed in her whole aspect and beamed upon giovanni's consciousness like the light of truth itself but while she spoke there was a fragrance in the atmosphere around her rich and delightful though evanescent yet which the young man from an indefinable reluctance scarcely dared to draw into his lungs it might be the odour of the flowers could it be beatrice's breath which thus embalmed her words with a strange richness as if by steeping them in her heart a faintness passed like a shadow over giovanni and flitted away he seemed to gaze through the beautiful girl's eyes into her transparent soul and felt no more doubt or fear the tinge of passion that had coloured beatrice's manner vanished she became gay and appeared to derive a pure delight with her communion with the youth not unlike what the maiden of a lonely island might have felt conversing with a voyager from the civilized world evidently her experience of life had been confined within the limits of that garden she talked now about matters as simple as the daylight or summer clouds and now asked questions in reference to the city or giovanni's distant home his friends his mother and his sisters questions indicating such seclusion and such lack of familiarity with modes and forms that giovanni responded as if to an infant her spirit gushed out before him like a fresh rill that was just catching his first glimpse of the sunlight and wondering at the reflections of earth and sky which were flung into its bosom there came thoughts too from a deep source and fantasies of a gem-like brilliancy as if diamonds and rubies sparkled upward among the bubbles of the fountain ever and anon there gleamed across the young man's mind a sense of wonder that he should be walking side by side with the being who had so wrought upon his imagination whom he had idealized in such hues of terror in whom he had positively witnessed such manifestations of dreadful attributes that he should be conversing with beatrice like a brother and should find her so human and so maidenlike 
But such reflections were only momentary. The effect of her character was too real not to make itself familiar at once. In this free intercourse they had strayed through the garden, and now, after many turns among its avenues, were come to the shattered fountain, beside which grew the magnificent shrub with its treasury of glowing blossoms. A fragrance was diffused from it which Giovanni recognized as identical with that which he had attributed to Beatrice's breath, but incomparably more powerful. As her eyes fell upon it, Giovanni beheld her press her hand to her bosom, as if her heart were throbbing suddenly and painfully. "'For the first time in my life,' murmured she, addressing the shrub, "'I had forgotten thee.' "'I remember, signora,' said Giovanni, "'that you once promised to reward me with one of these living gems for the bouquet which I had the happy boldness to fling to your feet. Permit me now to pluck it as a memorial of this interview.' He made a step towards the shrub with extended hand, but Beatrice darted forward, uttering a shriek that went through his heart like a dagger. She caught his hand and drew it back with the whole force of her slender figure. Giovanni felt her touch thrilling through his fibres. "'Touch it not!' exclaimed she, in a voice of agony. "'Not for thy life! It is fatal!' Then, hiding her face, she fled from him and vanished beneath the sculptured portal. As Giovanni followed her with his eyes, he beheld the emaciated figure and pale intelligence of Dr. Rappaccini, who had been watching the scene he knew not how long within the shadow of the entrance. No sooner was Guasconte alone in his chamber than the image of Beatrice came back to his passionate musings, invested with all the witchery that had been gathering around it ever since his first glimpse of her, and now likewise imbued with a tender warmth of girlish womanhood. She was human. Her nature was endowed with all gentle and feminine qualities. She was worthiest to be worshipped. She was capable, surely, on her part, of the height and heroism of love. Those tokens which he had hitherto considered proofs of a frightful peculiarity in her physical and moral system were now either forgotten, or, by the subtle sophistry of passion, transmitted into a golden crown of enchantment rendering Beatrice the more admirable by so much as she was the more unique. Whatever had looked ugly was now beautiful, or, if incapable of such a charge, it stole away and hid itself among those shapeless half-ideas which thronged to the dim region beyond the daylight of our perfect consciousness. Thus did he spend the night nor fell asleep until the dawn had begun to awake the slumbering flowers in Dr. Rappaccini's garden, whither Giovanni's dreams doubtless led him. Up rose the sun in his due season, and flinging his beams upon the young man's eyelids, awoke him to a sense of pain. When thoroughly aroused, he became sensible of a burning and tingling agony in his hand, in his right hand, the very hand which Beatrice had grasped in her own, when he was on the point of plucking one of the gem-like flowers. On the back of that hand there was now a purple print, like that of four small fingers, and the likeness of a slender thumb upon his wrist. 
oh how stubbornly does love or even that cunning semblance of love which flourishes in the imagination but strikes no depth of root into the heart how stubbornly does it hold its faith until the moment comes when it is doomed to vanish into thin mist giovanni wrapped a handkerchief about his hand and wondered what evil thing had stung him and soon forgot his pain in a reverie of beatrice after the first interview a second was in the inevitable course of what we call fate a third a fourth and a meeting with beatrice in the garden was no longer an incident in giovanni's daily life but the whole space in which he might be said to live for the anticipation and memory of that ecstatic hour made up the remainder nor was it otherwise with the daughter of rappaccini she watched for the youth's appearance and flew to his side with confidence as unreserved as if they now had been playmates from early infancy as if they were such playmates still if by any unwonted chance he failed to come at the appointed moment she stood beneath the window and sent up the rich sweetness of her tone to float around him in his chamber and echo and reverberate throughout his heart giovanni giovanni why tarriest thou come down and down he hastened into that eden of poisonous flowers but with all this intimate familiarity there was still a reserve in beatrice's demeanour so rigidly and invariably sustained that the idea of infringing it scarcely occurred to his imagination by all appreciable signs they loved they had looked love with their eyes that conveyed the whole secret from the depths of one soul into the depths of the other as if it were too sacred to be whispered by the way they had even spoken love in those gushes of passion when their spirits darted forth in articulated breath like tongues of long hidden flame and yet there had been no seal of lips no clasp of hands nor any slightest caress such as love claims and hallows he had never touched one of the gleaming ringlets of her hair her garment so marked was the physical barrier between them had never been waved against him by a breeze on the few occasions when giovanni had seemed tempted to overstep the limit beatrice grew so sad so stern and with all wore such a look of desolate separation shuddering at itself that not a spoken word was requisite to repel him at such times he was startled at the horrible suspicions that rose monster-like out of the caverns of his heart and stared him in the face his love grew thin and faint as the morning mist his doubts alone had substance but when beatrice's face brightened again after the momentary shadow she was transformed at once from the mysterious questionable being whom he had watched with so much awe and horror she was now the beautiful and unsophisticated girl whom he felt that his spirit knew with a certainty beyond all other knowledge a considerable time had now passed since giovanni's last meeting with baglioni one morning however he was disagreeably surprised by a visit from the professor whom he had scarcely thought of for whole weeks and would willingly have forgotten still longer given up as he had long been to a pervading excitement 
he could tolerate no companions except upon condition of their perfect sympathy with his present state of feeling such sympathy was not to be expected from professor baglioni the visitor chatted carelessly for a few moments about the gossip of the city and the university and then took up another topic i have been reading an old classic author lately said he and met with a story that strangely interested me possibly you may remember it it is of an indian prince who sent a beautiful woman as a present to alexander the great she was as lovely as the dawn and gorgeous as the sunset but what especially distinguished her was a certain rich perfume in her breath richer than a garden of persian roses alexander as was natural to a youthful conqueror fell in love at first sight with this magnificent stranger but a certain sage physician happening to be present discovered a terrible secret in regard to her and what was that asked giovanni turning his eyes downward to avoid those of the professor that this lovely woman continued baglioni with emphasis had been nourished with poisons from her birth upward until her whole nature was so imbued with them that she herself had become the deadliest poison in existence poison was her element of life with that rich perfume of her breath she blasted the very air her love would have been poison her embrace death is not this a marvellous tale a childish fable answered giovanni nervously starting from his chair i marvel how your worship finds time to read such nonsense among your graver studies by the by said the professor looking uneasily about him what singular fragrance is this in your apartment is it the perfume of your gloves it is faint but delicious and yet after all by no means agreeable were i to breathe it long methinks it would make me ill it is like the breath of a flower but i see no flowers in the chamber nor are there any replied giovanni who had turned pale as the professor spoke nor i think is there any fragrance except in your worship's imagination odours being a sort of element combined of the sensual and the spiritual are apt to deceive us in this manner the recollection of a perfume the bare idea of it may easily be mistaken for a present reality ay but my sober imagination does not often play such tricks said baglioni and were i to fancy any kind of odour it would be that of some vile apothecary drug wherewith my fingers are likely enough to be imbued our worshipful friend rappaccini as i have heard tinctures his medicaments with odours richer than those of araby doubtless likewise the fair and learned signora beatrice would minister to her patients with draughts as sweet as a maiden's breath but woe to him that sips them giovanni's face evinced many contending emotions the tone in which the professor alluded to the pure and lovely daughter of rappaccini was a torture to his soul and yet the intimation of a view of her character opposite to his own gave instantaneous distinctness to a thousand dim suspicions which now grinned at him like so many demons 
but he strove hard to quell them and to respond to Balione with a true lover's perfect faith. Signor Professor, said he, you were my father's friend. Perchance, too, it is your purpose to act a friendly part towards his son. I would fain feel nothing towards you save respect and deference, but I pray you to observe, Signor, that there is one subject on which we must not speak. You know not the Signora Beatrice. You cannot, therefore, estimate the wrong, the blasphemy, I may even say, that is offered to her character by a light or injurious word. Giovanni! My poor Giovanni! answered the professor, with a calm expression of pity. I know this wretched girl far better than yourself. You shall hear the truth in respect to the poisoner Apogini and his poisonous daughter yes poisonous as she is beautiful listen for even should you do violence to my grey hairs it shall not silence me that old fable of the indian woman has become a truth by the deep and deadly science of rappaccini and in the person of the lovely beatrice giovanni groaned and hid his face her father continued Barleone, was not restrained by natural affection from offering up his child in this horrible manner as the victim of his insane zeal for science for let us do him justice he is as true a man of science as ever distilled his own heart in an alembic what then will be your fate beyond a doubt you are selected as the material of some new experiment perhaps the result is to be death perhaps a fate more awful still. Rappaccini, with what he calls the interest of science before his eyes, will hesitate at nothing. It is a dream, muttered Giovanni to himself. Surely it is a dream. But, resumed the professor, be of good cheer, son of my friend. It is not yet too late for the rescue. Possibly we may even succeed in bringing back this miserable child within the limits of ordinary nature, from which her father's madness has estranged her. Behold this little silver vase. It was wrought by the hands of the renowned Benvenuto Cellini, and is well worthy to be a love-gift to the fairest dame in Italy. But its contents are invaluable one little sip of this antidote would have rendered the most virulent poisons of the borgias innocuous doubt not that it will be as efficacious against those of rappaccini bestow the vase and the precious liquid within it on your beatrice and hopefully await the result Balione laid a small exquisitely wrought silver vial on the table and withdrew leaving what he had said to produce its effect upon the young man's mind. "'We will thwart Rappaccini yet,' thought he, chuckling to himself, as he descended the stairs. "'But let us confess the truth of him. He is a wonderful man, a wonderful man indeed, a vile empiric, however, in his practice, and therefore not to be tolerated by those who respect the good old rules of the medical profession.' 
Throughout Giovanni's whole acquaintance with Beatrice, he had occasionally, as we have said, been haunted by dark surmises as to her character. Yet so thoroughly had she made herself felt by him as a simple, natural, most affectionate and guileless creature, that the image now held up by Professor Baglioni looked as strange and incredible as if it were not in accordance with his own original conception. True, there were ugly recollections connected with his first glimpses of the beautiful girl. He could not quite forget the bouquet that withered in her grasp, and the insect that perished amid the sunny air by no ostensible agency save the fragrance of her breath. These incidents, however, dissolving in the pure light of her character, had no longer the efficacy of facts, but were acknowledged as mistaken fantasies, by whatever testimony of the senses they might appear to be substantiated. There is something truer and more real than what we can see with the eyes and touch with the finger. On such better evidence had Giovanni founded his confidence in Beatrice, though rather by the unnecessary force of her high attributes than by any deep and generous faith on his part. But now his spirit was incapable of sustaining itself at the height to which the early enthusiasm of passion had exalted it. He fell down, grovelling among earthly doubts, and defiled therewith the pure whiteness of Beatrice's image. Not that he gave her up, he did but distrust. He resolved to institute some decisive test that should satisfy him, once for all, whether there were those dreadful peculiarities in his physical nature which could not be supposed to exist without some corresponding monstrosity of soul. His eyes, gazing down afar, might have deceived him as to the lizard, the insect, and the flowers, but if he could witness, at a distance of a few paces, the sudden blight of one fresh and healthful flower in Beatrice's hand, there would be room for no further question. With this idea he hastened to the florists, and purchased a bouquet that was still gemmed with the morning dewdrops. It was now the customary hour of his daily interview with Beatrice. Before descending into the garden, Giovanni failed not to look at his figure in the mirror, a vanity to be expected in a beautiful young man, yet, as displaying itself at that troubled and feverish moment, the token of a certain shallowness of feeling and insincerity of character. He did gaze, however, and said to himself that his features had never before possessed so rich a grace, nor his eyes such vivacity, nor his cheeks so warm a hue of superabundant life. At least, thought he, her poison has not yet insinuated itself into my system. I am no flower to perish in her grasp. With that thought he turned his eyes on the bouquet, which he had never once laid aside from his hand. A shrill of indefinable horror shot through his frame on perceiving that those dewy flowers were already beginning to droop. They wore the aspect of things that had been fresh and lovely yesterday. Giovanni grew white as marble, and stood motionless before the mirror, staring at his own reflection there as at the likeness of something frightful. He remembered Balione's remark about the fragrance that seemed to pervade the chamber. It must have been the poison in his breath. Then he shuddered, shuddered at himself. 
Recovering from his stupor, he began to watch with curious eye a spider that was busily at work hanging its web from the antique cornice of the apartment, crossing and recrossing the artful system of interwoven lines, as vigorous and active a spider as ever dangled from an old ceiling. Giovanni bent towards the insect and emitted a deep, long breath. The spider suddenly ceased its toil. The web vibrated with a tremor originating in the body of the small artisan. Again Giovanni sent forth a breath, deeper, longer, and imbued with a venomous feeling out of his heart. He knew not whether he were wicked or only desperate. The spider made a convulsive grip with his limbs and hung dead across the window. Accursed, accursed, muttered Giovanni, addressing himself. Hast thou grown so poisonous that this deadly insect perishes by thy breath? At that moment a rich, sweet voice came floating up from the garden. Giovanni! Giovanni! It is past the hour! Why tarriest thou? Come down! Yes, muttered Giovanni again. She is the only being whom my breath will not slay. Would that it might! He rushed down, and in an instant was standing before the bright and loving eyes of Beatrice. A moment ago his wrath and despair had been so fierce that he could have desired nothing so much as to wither her by a glance, but with her actual presence there came influences which had too real an existence to be at once shaken off recollections of the delicate and benign power of her feminine nature which had so often enveloped him in a religious calm recollections of many a holy and passionate outgush of her heart when the pure fountain had been unsealed from its depth and made visible in its transparency to his mental eye recollections which had giovanni known how to estimate them would have assured him that all this ugly mystery was but an earthly illusion, and that whatever mist of evil might seem to have gathered over her, the real Beatrice was a heavenly angel. Incapable as he was of such high faith, still her presence had not utterly lost its magic. Giovanni's rage was quelled into an aspect of sullen insensibility. Beatrice, with a quick spiritual sense, immediately felt that there was a gulf of blackness between them, which neither he nor she could pass. They walked on together, sad and silent, and came thus to the marble fountain and to its pool of water on the ground, in the midst of which grew the shrub that bore gem-like blossoms. Giovanni was affrighted at the eager enjoyment, the appetite, as it were, with which he found himself inhaling the fragrance of the flowers. "'Beatrice,' asked he, abruptly, "'whence came this shrub?' "'My father created it,' answered she, with simplicity. "'Created it,' repeated Giovanni. "'What mean you, Beatrice?' "'He is a man fearfully acquainted with the secrets of nature,' replied Beatrice, "'and at the hour when I first drew breath, this plant sprang from the soil, the offspring of his science, of his intellect, while I was but his earthly child. Approach it not, 
continued she, observing with terror that Giovanni was drawing nearer to the shrub. It has qualities that you little dream of. But I, dearest Giovanni, I grew up and blossomed with the plant, and was nourished with its breath. It was my sister, and I loved it with a human affection. For alas, hast thou not suspected it, there was an awful doom. Here Giovanni frowned so darkly upon her that Beatrice paused and trembled, but her faith in his tenderness reassured her, and made her blush that she had doubted for an instant. "'There was an awful doom,' she continued, "'the effect of my father's fatal love of science, which estranged me from all society of my kind. Until heaven sent thee, dearest Giovanni, oh, how lonely was thy poor Beatrice!' "'Was it a hard doom?' asked Giovanni, fixing his eyes upon her. "'Only of late have I known how hard it was,' answered she, tenderly. "'Oh, yes. But my heart was torpid, and therefore quiet.' Giovanni's rage broke forth from his sullen gloom like a lightning-flash out of a dark cloud. "'Accursed one!' cried he, with venomous scorn and anger and finding thy solitude wearisome, thou hast severed me likewise from all the warmth of life, and enticed me into thy region of unspeakable horror. Giovanni, exclaimed Beatrice, turning her large bright eyes upon his face. The force of his words had not found its way into her mind. She was merely thunderstruck. Yes, poisonous thing! repeated Giovanni, beside himself with passion. Thou hast done it! Thou hast blasted me! Thou hast filled my veins with poison! Thou hast made me as hateful, as ugly, as loathsome and deadly a creature as thyself, a world's wonder of hideous monstrosity! Now, if our breath be happily as fatal to ourselves as to all others, let us join our lips in one kiss of unutterable hatred, and so die. "'What has befallen me?' murmured Beatrice, with a low moan out of her heart. "'Holy virgin, pity me, a poor heart-broken child!' "'Thou dost pray?' cried Giovanni, still with the same fiendish scorn. Thy very prayers, as they come from thy lips, taint the atmosphere with death. Yes, yes, let us pray, let us to church and dip our fingers in the holy water at the portal. They that come after us will perish as by a pestilence. Let us sign crosses in the air. It will be scattering curses abroad in the likeness of holy symbols. Giovanni asked Beatrice calmly, for her grief was beyond passion. "'Why dost thou join thyself with me thus in those terrible words? I, it is true, am the horrible thing that thou namest me. But thou, what hast thou to do, save with one other shudder at my hideous misery, to go forth out of the garden and mingle with thy race, 
and forget there ever crawled on earth such a monster as poor Beatrice. "'Dost thou pretend ignorance?' asked Giovanni, scowling upon her. "'Behold, this power have I gained from the pure daughter of Rappaccini.' There was a swarm of summer insects flitting through the air, in search of the food promised by the flower odours of the fatal garden. They circled round Giovanni's head, and were evidently attracted towards him by the same influence which had drawn them for an instant within the sphere of several of the shrubs. He sent forth a breath among them, and smiled bitterly at Beatrice, as at least a score of the insects fell dead upon the ground. "'I see it! I see it!' shrieked Beatrice. "'It is my father's fatal science! No, no, Giovanni, it was not I! Never, never!' I dreamed only to love thee and be with thee a little time, and so to let thee pass away, leaving but thine image in mine heart. For, Giovanni, believe it, though my body be nourished with poison, my spirit is God's creature, and craves love as its daily food. But my father, he has united us in this fearful sympathy, yes spurn me tread upon me kill me oh what is death after such words as thine but it was not i not for a world of bliss would i have done it giovanni's passion had exhausted itself in its outburst from his lips there now came across him a sense mournful and not without tenderness of the intimate and peculiar relationship between Beatrice and himself. They stood, as it were, in an utter solitude, which would be made none the less solitary by the densest throng of human life. Ought not, then, the desert of humanity around them to press this insulated pair closer together? If they should be cruel to one another, who was there to be kind to them? Besides, thought Giovanni, might there not still be a hope of his returning within the limits of ordinary nature, and leading Beatrice, the redeemed Beatrice, by the hand? Oh, weak and selfish and unworthy spirit, that could dream of an earthly union and earthly happiness as possible, after such deep love had been so bitterly wronged as was Beatrice's love by Giovanni's blighting words. No, no, there could be no such hope. She must pass heavily, with that broken heart, across the borders of time. She must bathe her hurts in some fount of paradise, and forget her grief in the light of immortality, and there be well. But Giovanni did not know it. Dear Beatrice, said he, approaching her, while she shrank away as always at his approach, but now with a different impulse. Dearest Beatrice, our fate is not yet so desperate. Behold, there is a medicine, potent, as a wise physician has assured me, and almost divine in its efficacy. It is composed of ingredients the most opposite to those by which thy awful father has brought this calamity upon thee and me. 
it is distilled of blessed herbs shall we not quaff it together and thus be purified from evil give it to me said beatrice extending her hand to receive the little silver vial which giovanni took from his bosom she added with a peculiar emphasis i will drink but do thou await the result she put barleone's antidote to her lips and at the same moment the figure of rappaccini emerged from the portal and came slowly towards the marble fountain as he drew near the pale man of science seemed to gaze with a triumphant expression at the beautiful youth and maiden as might an artist who should spend his life in achieving a picture or a group of statuary and finally be satisfied with his success he paused his bent form grew erect with conscious power he spread out his hands over them in the attitude of a father imploring a blessing upon his children but those were the same hands that had thrown poison into the stream of their lives giovanni trembled beatrice shuddered nervously and pressed her hand upon her heart my daughter said rappaccini thou art no longer lonely in the world pluck one of those precious gems from thy sister shrub and bid thy bridegroom wear it in his bosom it will not harm him now my science and the sympathy between thee and him have so wrought within his system that he now stands apart from common men as thou dost daughter of my pride and triumph from ordinary women pass on then through the world most dear to one another and dreadful to all besides my father said beatrice feebly and still as she spoke she kept her hand upon her heart wherefore didst thou inflict this miserable doom upon thy child miserable exclaimed rappaccini what mean you foolish girl dost thou deem it misery to be endowed with marvellous gifts against which no power nor strength could avail an enemy misery to be able to quell the mightiest with a breath misery to be as terrible as thou art beautiful wouldst thou then have preferred the condition of a weak woman exposed to all evil and capable of none i would fain have been loved not feared murmured beatrice sinking down upon the ground but now it matters not i am going father where the evil which thou hast striven to mingle with my being will pass away like a dream like the fragrance of these poisonous flowers which will no longer taint my breath among the flowers of eden farewell giovanni thy words of hatred are like lead within my heart but they too will fall away as i ascend oh was there not from the first more poison in thy nature than in mine to beatrice so radically had her earthly part been wrought upon by rappaccini's skill 
as poison had been life, so the powerful antidote was death. And thus the poor victim of man's ingenuity and of thwarted nature, and of the fatality that attends all such efforts of perverted wisdom, perished there, at the feet of her father and Giovanni. Just at that moment Professor Pietro Baglione looked forth from the window, and called loudly, in a tone of triumph mixed with horror, to the thunder-stricken man of science, Frappuccini! Frappuccini! And is this the upshot of your experiment? End of Rappuccini's Daughter